Hey, good afternoon. I almost said good morning. I knew that wasn't right. Good evening. Good afternoon. I don't know where we're at. Sun's out. It's beautiful. It's good to see you guys. Hey, I, you know, I love doing this, right? To gather and to worship our Lord and then to hear from Him through His Word. My challenge to you is that you never grow tired of that. Please don't, don't grow weary of being in the Lord's house. Don't grow weary of being in the presence of God, being with His people, worshiping Him, centering your lives and, and, and every, every part about you just focused on Christ. Don't, don't ever tarry. Don't ever grow weary in doing that, please. Whether that's here or whether that's somewhere else, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Pay Him the honor that's due His name and glorify Him in the way that He's worthy of. Amen? We have a team of people going to Honduras. They're leaving late Thursday night. So late Thursday night, it's really Friday morning when they leave, right? So I want to invite uh, all those that are here that are going on that trip to come up here because uh, I'm going to pray for you. So if you're going to Honduras, would you please work your way up here? And we just want to love on you and support you and pray for you. I'm here, nice and center, where everybody can see you. Mickey, you're going? Yeah, look at her. All these kids, and even the other ones, don't even add up to my age. <laughs> I think if you throw me in there with all yes, of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we have a total, how many are going? Eleven. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, something like that. So I just, on, on behalf of the Lord and on behalf of the church and, and um in the Lord's causes and purposes, I just want to say thank you to you guys for putting yourselves out there and taking some time out of life and your busy schedule to do something that might be a little scary, uh, some unknowns, but the Lord is just, He honors you and He blesses you. And, and um, I'm just so proud of all you guys for doing this. Thank you so much for being an example to us and to those that know you and love you and that are praying for you. Um, what a blessing. Thank you so much. Yeah. If, if you want, you don't have to, but if you're related to anybody that's up here, I am. This one belongs to me. This is my daughter, Chelsea. But if you're related to anybody up here, would you please come up and just lay your hands as I pray for them? Would you lay your hands on them as we pray together? Thank you, guys. <laughs> this is Marina. This is Mia. This is Chelsea. And this is Mickey. Let's pray. Lord, we're just... We're so thankful that they, like you, are sacrificing for the benefit of somebody else. That's truly when we're most Christ-like, when we give of ourselves for the benefit of somebody else. And so, Lord, I, I commend them and I thank you for them. Lord, I pray that as they go, yes, we know that their lives are going to impact the lives of others, but their lives will be impacted as well. And so, Lord, I pray that you do exactly what you've intended to do. Help them to be obedient. Help them to trust you. Lord, blow their minds while they are there. Begin even now, Lord, to prepare them, watch over them, bless them, and keep them. We lift them up to you. We're so grateful for each and every person here. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thanks, you guys.
Thank you, thank you. Um, go ahead and throw that next slide up. So this family might look familiar to you. That's uh, Michael and Maritza. They have been part of this church for 10 years. Uh, they have three children. Derek's the oldest, and Alexandra is the middle, and then Joshua's their youngest. Um, we are going to onboard Michael for about 15 to 18 hours a week as part of our staff. Yeah. You thought he was leaving, didn't you? I love that. You may not know that when Pastor John was still here, and I wasn't even on staff, Michael and I had our first breakfast. That was about three years ago, and we've been talking since then. I just sensed that God had a call on his life to ministry, and we didn't know when and what that looked like, but we've just been waiting, and we've been waiting, and we've been talking, and we've been made, waiting for three years, and now's that time. So he's going to start in the next week or two. I'm not even sure when his start date is, still working all that out. It's kind of happening slowly, and then when it happens, it seems like it happens fast, right? So... Um, he is going to be the uh, director of adult ministries. The, he's got a, a few things he's going to be overseeing, but the two biggest things are going to be our community group ministry and our serving teams. Um, yeah, and, and other things that are coming up. Um, and then in five or six months, he's, you know, Michael runs a gym. He owns a gym uh, here locally, and uh, he's either going to try to sell that or wait till the lease run out, and he's still working all that stuff out. That's going to happen in October, so we'd love to have more hours, but we just can't get more hours right now. So um, is that cool or what? So grateful. So grateful. <laughs> hey, next weekend's Easter. Yeah. Um, be praying. Uh, people show up on Easter Sunday or Saturday night and that don't normally show up, and I'm going to do the best I can as many pastors all around the world to just share the good news of Jesus Christ because he's real. And what he did is the most incredible thing ever for you and for me and for others. And so um, just be praying, praying that God would soften people's hearts to receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. We are in the book of Philippians. I did not plan um, on being this challenged by this book. I, I don't know why. I I. I I've just been really challenged. I'm loving it. It's really hitting me hard, and um, I'm totally loving it. I hope you are as well. We, um, if, if you're new here, we read out of the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. If, if you uh, use your phone, go to the NASB on your phone app or Bible app, or there's a Bible in front of you in the chair in front of you. If you need a Bible for home, please take one home. They're free. The New American Standard Bible, NASB. So let's recap from... Last week, by the way, it's really good to see you guys. It's a full house for a Saturday night. I love Saturday night service, man. I just love doing this on Saturday. Let me just recap a few couple things before we pray from, from last week, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We discussed, if you remember, uh, the joy of being saints in Christ, but then we also wrestled with the challenge of becoming bondservants of Christ which is what it says in verse 1 of both Paul and Timothy. So he says, to the saints in Christ, Paul and Timothy, Timothy say we are bondservants of Christ. And last Sunday night in our community group, we really wrestled with a whole concept of becoming bondservants. It was fun. I loved it. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, which we saw last week, tells us that even Christ himself, it says in verse 7 of chapter 2, took on the form of a bondservant. 
And so Paul and Timothy are saying to the Philippians, be bondservants of Christ, just like we are, and just like Christ himself referred to himself as a bondservant. A slave or a bondservant had no rights or privileges. Zero. Everything related to the master. Everything was about the master. And that's what Paul and Timothy referred to themselves as, and that's what Christ referred to himself as. All, imagine this. Imagine, as a bond slave, a bond servant, imagine all, all, all of your personal interests and ambitions had to be suppressed and bottled up. They, they just didn't matter. That's what it means. All personal interests and all ambitions had to be bottled up. And so I ask you, <laughs> how much of our lives are bottled up and suppressed for the Savior? How much of our personal interests and our personal ambitions are bottled up for Jesus? How much is not bottled up, but is just out there running wild and free? Instead of for the Savior, it's for ourself. Hmm. Paul challenges us to live as bondservants. It's just so challenging for me when I realize how much I live for myself instead of for the Lord. Scripture, all of Scripture points to the submissive life. And it's the submissive life that brings us joy and freedom. Scripture says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And we said this last week that whereas happiness is rooted in circumstances, joy is rooted in what? Do you remember? Purpose. Whereas happiness is rooted in circumstance, joy is rooted in purpose. And we, we, we threw this up last week from, from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You remember this about Christ. As the writer of Hebrews is wrapping up this book, this letter, he says, Therefore... Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you and I, let us lay aside every encumbrance, every, and the sin which easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing, being fixated on Jesus. Are our eyes and our lives fixated on the person of Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of the faith that you and I claim, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His humility, as we talked about last week, this was a pattern in Jesus' life. It was the design, we talked about this last week as well, the pattern and the design found in Jesus is humility, then glory. Humility, then glory. Humiliation before glorification. Last week we looked at the joy that Paul had in the church at Philippi because of their participation in the gospel. Not only do we see Paul's joy because of their participation in the gospel, but we see Paul's joy because of the progress of the gospel, because of the proclamation of the gospel. That's what brings Paul joy. It's what brings the Lord joy when we participate in the message of Jesus Christ, when we see the message of Christ progress, and when we see the message of Christ being proclaimed. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are so thankful for Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way with those verses tonight in our lives. Lord, may we continue. Oh, Lord, you're so patient and you're so gracious towards us. May we continue 
to align our lives with your purposes so that we may experience the joy of the Lord. And then the joy of the Lord will be our strength. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 12 through 20. Philippians 1 verses 12 through 20. Mm, Good stuff, man. Paul, love it. You ready? Verse 12. Now I want you to know, he's telling the church at Philippi, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren who are trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, they have more courage, far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Sure, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from from envy and strife, but there are some who are preaching from goodwill. The latter, they do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, pretense means false motives, whether for false motives or pure motives, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And he says it again, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, those going to Honduras are going with boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Amen. C.S. Lewis, I'll put a quote up on the screens. He says this. He says, I believe that there are many accommodating preachers, you might want to say compromising preachers, and too many practitioners in the church who are not believers. Jesus Christ did not say, go into all the world and tell the world that it is quite right. Oh, everything's fine. The gospel is something completely different. In fact, it is directly opposed to the world. Paul is preaching the gospel and they're not really happy about it because he's not telling them that everything is quite right. We want to hear that everything's quite right, but that's just not what the gospel is. The gospel says that everything's quite wrong and Christ came to fix all that was wrong and make it right again. Here's our outline. The first three verses, 12 through 14, are about the gospel progress and the next three are about gospel problems, people preaching from impure motives. But Paul says no problem as long as the gospel is proclaimed. And those are the last three verses. Let's read verses 12, 13, and 14, our first stanza. Let's reread 12, 13, and 14, gospel progress. I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and everybody else. And most of the brothers are trusting in God because of my imprisonment. They have more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Wow. Some great things are happening through some very interesting circumstances of Paul's imprisonment. So look at here. Verse 12. 
Paul, you can see how it starts. Paul wants the Philippian church, that he wants them to know something. And so he starts that way. He says, I want you to know. So what comes after is probably going to be pretty important. Paul wants us to know something. See, they love Paul. And they know he's in prison, which is bad, right? right? It's bad. Like You're in prison. That's not usually a good thing. They know he's in, pris- in prison. That's what they know. But oftentimes what we know is not what is. He knows what they know, but what they don't know is what is. It's just what they know. But he knows what they know, but it's not what is. You get what I'm saying? Oftentimes what we think we know is not what is. What is is, not what we know is. I hope you're confused because I just that's, that's my whole point. What he does want them to know is this, is that his circumstances, this is what he says, I want you to know that his, my circumstances, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm in prison. That's what you know. But what I want you to know is everything's just fine. Oh, my goodness. So the question then for me, for you, becomes this. Do we, like Paul, I'll say this because it might, do we, like Paul, filter our circumstances based on the progress of the gospel? See, that's what Paul does. He's filtering his circumstances through the progress of the gospel. Or do we filter the gospel based on the progress of our circumstances? That's how most of us live. The gospel's going great if I filter it through my circumstances. Paul says, I'm going to filter my circumstances through the filter of the gospel. I don't know if you caught this at the end of verse 12. This word greater, it turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What's with this word there called greater? You know that word means contrary progress. It means rather than, it means instead of. His circumstances did a flip-flop on the enemy. Instead of it being, it's it's the contrary progress. It was supposed to make it worse, and Jesus made it better. Like if I'm the opposition, I'm kind of ticked. It's like, that didn't work so well. It means contrary, rather than, or instead of. So think about it this way. Imagine if the Lord wasn't contrary to human thought. Right? Okay. He can be contrary to all of us, but he can't be the same as all of us. Imagine if God had to function uncontrary, like you thought and like I thought. It can't be done. And I wouldn't want to serve him if he did. I don't want to serve a God that thinks like you and thinks like me. I mean, Lord, help us. It's just, so, A, it's just, it's just a bad idea, and, and B, it's just not possible. We serve a contrary God. He does things contrary to how we think. He works in ways contrary to how we work. Oh, that's fantastic. That's not a bad thing. That's an amazing thing. The greater progress of the gospel, the contrary progress of the gospel Paul's imprisonment (laughs) was meant to chain up the gospel. Paul's imprisonment was meant to chain up the gospel. Instead, he was constantly chained to a Roman soldier. Did you know that? 
soldiers worked six-hour shifts. How many is that in a 24-hour period? Four people. What do you think they heard when they're chained up to Paul for six hours? Paul could preach to four men every day. <laughs> Paul got the gospel into this elite praetorian guard and into Caesar's court, something probably that would have never happened as a free man. Oh, that's contrary. It's like they're trying to chain him up, and he's like in the inner knowings of the Roman Empire. In Rome, Paul was in Rome as an official prisoner, and his case was an important one. The government needed to define the official status of this new thing called Christianity. And so they, <laughs> the Roman government, would have to study the doctrines of the Christian faith. Oops. Should have just left the guy out on the streets, man. The emperor of the world would actually hear the gospel. That's the greater progress. That's the contrary progress. That's how God works. See, the Lord can put us in the lowest of places for the highest of purposes. He can put us in the lowest of places for the highest of purposes. That's exactly what's happening with Paul. What are these two greater progresses of the gospel? Well, let's look. Verse 13. The greater progress of the gospel so that the cause of Christ has become well known. That's the first one. My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known. The cause of Christ has become well known. And the second one is found in verse 14, that the brothers had more courage to speak the word of God. Those are the two greater progresses. They didn't see that coming. The cause of Christ would become more well known through the empire and people would have more courage to speak the gospel message. Oops. <laughs> Paul's confinement was doing what his circumstances outside of prison would have never done. Imagine if all of us had these two things in mind that Paul had in verses 13 and 14. The cause of Christ to be well known and the courage to speak the word of God without fear. That's what Paul is saying was the greater progress, the contrary progress. Imagine if all of us in this room had those two things in mind. For the cause of Christ to be well known, which is why for the last four or five weeks I'm saying, be praying for Easter, be praying for Easter, be praying for Easter. For the cause of Christ to be well known and for courage to speak the word of God without fear. I pray that we allow God to use our circumstances to make him more well known and to make us more courageous. That was, right, the cause of Christ and the courage to speak what cause do you live for? What cause do I live for? What courage do we possess? And is it courage to speak the word of God? Is it courage for something, for something else? Our second stanza, these gospel problems in verses 15 through 17. Let's read those verses. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but then there are some who preach it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So they're coming alongside him. And the former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition rather than with pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So these two verses show us two types of people, camp A and camp B. Type A, type B. 
those preaching from good, goodwill, love, and pure motives, and those preaching from envy and strife and selfish ambition, trying to cause Paul distress or increase his suffering while he's in prison. Interesting, isn't it? See, here's the thing. Within the Lord's church, we will find the misuse of an awesome tool, the Word of God, for some unhealthy reasons. This happens. These are believers. They, they know Jesus Christ. These are, these are brothers in Christ. Within God's church, we will find misuse of His Word for some unhealthy reasons. Some believers, for some unknown reason, did not love the Apostle Paul or appreciate his work. And there's a whole lot of theories as to why that might be. We don't have time for that. Even though what they were preaching was doctrinally sound, they promoted themselves. They had selfish ambition. And there's never a place for that in the kingdom of God. Although they were doctrinally sound, they promoted themselves and they tried to get people to follow and support them and instead of perhaps not Paul. Paul, all he ever did was point people to Christ. Other people were pointing people to themselves. It happens in the church, often. Instead of asking, have you trusted Christ, they asked, whose side are you on, ours or Paul's? It's like, really? We know through Paul's letters that division in the body of Christ brought Paul grief. But his rejoicing in this section is because the gospel was being preached. So surely Paul's grieving. He's just not making note of that here. He's making note of the, of the joy that he has knowing that the gospel is still being proclaimed. Wow. What a soldier. Let me tell you the story. It's a matter of historic record that two great English evangelists, John Wesley and George Whitefield, disagreed on doctrinal matters. Both were very successful, preaching to thousands and seeing many come to Christ over their decades of ministry. Somebody asked Wesley if he expected to see Whitefield in heaven, and the evangelist replied, no, I do not. Hold on. So they said to Wesley, then do you th not think Whitefield is a believer, is not a converted man? Of course he is, Wesley said, but I don't expect to see him in heaven because he will be so close to the throne of God and I so far away that I will not be able to see him. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that fantastic? We can disagree on some things, and I'm not saying we're to be heretical, you know, but that just happens sometimes, right? We, have, we can differ on doctrinal matters. Gosh, man, I hope we're rejoicing that the gospel is being proclaimed as, as we work through those things. I love that. Here's a couple verses about always making sure that we're investigating our heart, that we're not wrestling with matters of faith from an impure heart. Look at Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. We need to do this all the time, church. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. We must always be examining our hearts. We must be brushing up against the gospel. We must be on our knees having the Holy Spirit show us the guilt of our sin and the guilt of our, our uncleansed heart. We must be in, in relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ that can say, hey, I love you, but that looks nasty in your life. You need to fix that. We need to say, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. 1 Chronicles 28.9, David is 
given these words to his son Solomon. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and he understands every intent of the thoughts. (laughs) Here's what's dangerous, right? If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Ouch. The Lord knows our hearts, man. We've got to be honest with the Lord about the things that go on in our hearts so he can correct those things so that we don't have the vision and we don't pursue our own things but that we can have unity. Our third stanza is the gospel proclamation in verses 18 through 20. Let's read 18, 19, and 20. What then? <laughs> Only that in every way, whether for false motives or pure motives, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know this, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, the provision of the Holy Spirit, according to my earnest expectation, hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. This section, 18, 19, and 20, opens with the two words, what then? What then? In other words, what that means is, what does this matter? In light of what was just shared in 15, 16, and 17 about these teachers that are teaching or preaching with false motives, Paul says, what does it matter? Well, let's look at what mattered to Paul. He's going to tell us. He says, what does it matter? What matters in those verses? And he says, right, what then? What does it matter? Only this. This is what matters. That in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That's what mattered to Paul. What then means, so what does it matter? I'm going to tell you what matters. That Christ is proclaimed. And so look how Paul responds to this thing that matters to him. What matters to Paul? Christ is proclaimed. How does he respond? What does it say? And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, which means and I will continue to rejoice. The gospel being proclaimed, the gospel being advanced, the gospel progressing is what mattered to Paul. And his response is, I'm going to rejoice. See, Paul knows. Paul knows. What a lot of us go through life not knowing, Paul knows. He knows what matters to him. Paul knows what matters to him. Many people have no idea what matters to them. They're looking and they're looking at them. Does that matter? No, that didn't matter. That didn't turn out. Does this matter? No, that didn't matter. That didn't turn out. Does this matter? No, that didn't matter. That didn't turn out. Paul knows what matters to him. He knows what makes him rejoice. What about us? What matters to you? What causes you to rejoice? And what adjustments might need to be made in your life to align more with what Paul, how Paul lived and how Christ lived. Check out in verse 18. I I, I love this. Right after he says, what then? He says, only that in every way, whether false motives or pure motives, Christ is proclaimed. Only that in every way, Christ is proclaimed. He doesn't say only that in the only way, only that in one way, He says only that's in every way. And here's my little note that I wrote to you. Oh, church, 
let us be careful in thinking rigidly in how the Lord works. Let us be careful in thinking rigidly in how the Lord works. There's so many different manifestations and different types of churches that are doing incredible things and oftentimes we criticize, well, I don't like the way they do this and I don't like the way they do that. Paul says, only that in every way Christ is proclaimed. And it's just what, my, you know, I, again, I'm not, I'm not supporting people that, are, that, that have bad doctrine or heretical thinking. I'm not saying that. Only the Lord really knows the hearts of anybody and any pastor or church. And so my wife and I, we, have, we, just, we just want to say in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And come alongside that and support that and love on those people. So, this might be my request to you then, <laughs> right? Based on verse 18, right? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So here would be my request, that church, which you already are very gracious towards me, and I'm very thankful for that, I would still request that even if I stub my toe now and then, which I might do, maybe I've done that, can you and will you please rejoice like Paul does? Can you and will you please rejoice? Paul could, and he wants us to as well. I'm going to stub my toe once in a while. I might, I, I don't know, maybe I have already. I don't know, in the three years I've been here, maybe I've stubbed my toe. But can you and will you please rejoice that Christ is proclaimed? Amen? Let's look at Paul's confidence in the Lord as found in verses 19 and 20. <laughs> he says, after he says, yes, and I will rejoice, he says, for I know. Here's another thing. Paul says, for I know. There's three wills. That this will, right after that, for I know that this will, and then in verse 20, kind of like two lines in, that I will, okay, so, right, that this will, that I will, and that Christ will later in verse 20. That he says, I know. I just love that language, that this will, that I will, that Christ will. Paul has a, a massive confidence in the things that he know, knows will happen. What are those things? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance or for my salvation through your prayers and provision of the Holy Spirit according to my hope. I know that I will not be put to shame. That's the second thing, right? So I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ will, as always, be exalted in my body. I will not be put, so I will not be put to shame in anything. He knows this. This will turn out for my deliverance. I will not be put to shame, and Christ will be exalted in my body. Those are the three things that he knows. Wouldn't we love the confidence that Paul displays in those verses, to know those things the way that Paul knows them. Was Paul simply a bold person? Is that what it is? He doesn't just say, I know these things, and he just shows his boldness. Within those verses, it tells us why he is bold. Look at 19 and 20 again. He says, for I know, the first one, that this will turn out for my deliverance, and he lists three things. Through your prayers, the provision of the Holy Spirit, which 
In Luke 24, Jesus calls it the power from on high, right? So through your prayers, the provision of the Spirit of God and according to my earnest expectation and hope that as we get to know God and we trust Him, our hope is what allows us to live differently. When we go through life with the hope that Paul has, it's because he's been in a relationship with God. And God has delivered on every hope that Paul's had. He puts his hope in him, but he also realizes that he needs prayers, and he also realizes he needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what gave him confidence. He knew his God. He knew that he can be bold, or, 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 or uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, hope. He knew that he can have his hope in, 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 in the Lord because he had a relationship with the Lord. He built that relationship. And so he had this hope, but it was also through their prayers and the provision of the Holy Spirit that we are to be clothed with power from on high. That's what made him bold. These three elements lend themselves to a life of boldness. As we get to know our Lord, our hope grows. We get to know God's people and we have people praying for us. And then we rely mightily on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul was bold. He wasn't just bold on his own. He had people praying for him. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he built a relationship with his God that gave him hope. So in closing, Paul's bonds, instead of, right, contrary, Paul's bonds, instead of hindering his outreach, resulted in a greater spreading of the gospel. I love it when the Lord gets the last laugh. Because here's the reality. <laughs> this is difficult, maybe. Our hardship, not always, but our hardship is often his handiwork. Our hardship is often his handiwork. I'll put a quote on the screen out of one of my commentaries. It says, he did not complain about his chains. Instead, he consecrated them. He's, he, right, he ordained them. He set them aside. He consecrated them to God. And he asked God to use them for the pioneer advance of the gospel. In other words, God, do something you've never done before. And that's exactly what God did when he answered his prayers. He didn't complain. He consecrated and so maybe that's our challenge when we go to complain to say, Lord, I want to consecrate this to you. Do a pioneer work in my life. Do a pioneer work with whatever it is that you're doing in my life. Let me close with this story. While this is written from a, by a pastor, he says, while recovering in the hospital from a serious auto accident, I received a letter from a total stranger who seemed to know just what to say to make my day brighter. In fact, I received several letters from him, each one better than the one before. I was finally able to meet him personally and was amazed to discover the following. He was blind, a diabetic, Handicapped because of a leg amputation in the second amputation, leg being amputated in the next week, and that he lived with and cared for his elderly mother. If a man ever wore chains, this man did. But if a man ever was free to pioneer the gospel, this man was. He was able to share Christ in high school assemblies, before service clubs, at the Y, before professional people in meetings that would have been closed to an ordained minister. My friend, this pastor writes, had the single mind. He lived for Christ and the gospel. Consequently, he shared the joy of furthering the gospel. Man. Our chains 
may not be as dramatic or difficult, but there is no reason why God cannot use them in the same way. Amen? Good word for us. Oh, Paul's killing me. He's killing me, that Paul. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to close this in song. And if you need prayer after our service, please, please see our prayer team so that you can be bold like Paul and be prayed for. Lord, we, we thank you for these verses. Holy Spirit, we, we just give you permission to speak to us and to make us uncomfortable and to encourage us uh, to just have conversation with you about what you have for us through your word. We thank you for this time. We, we thank you for Paul's example of finding his joy in the purposes of our Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.